0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org.
1: Yeah, we are so excited for Tuesday night as we kick off another year of Kyle. I'll welcome all the college students to Ames. Uh, everyone, uh, welcome this morning to church. We're glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Colossians chapter 1. Last week, we made an announcement uh, for our church that the theme over our church for the next school year, over the next nine months, is this simple theme that we are ready. It was really the, the, the heart of that song that they sang, that song here and now um, they sang during worship this morning, that we are ready. This declaration of the Lord, really a declaration of what we feel like the Lord's been stirring in our hearts for some time now. That he's been preparing us, he's been shoring up our foundation um, for, for this moment, where now we can put our hands out before us and we can say, Lord, we are ready. And the gospel, the kingdom of Jesus, uh, the kingdom that Jesus came and introduced. It's a gospel that readies a people for, for the here and now. It doesn't just give you a ticket for a future heaven, but right now there, there's a, a relevancy to it right now in your life today to make you ready for what God's calling you to for today. And uh, we want to be a church that looks around our neighborhood, looks around our city, looks around our world, and, we, and we're not coming up with excuses for why we're disqualified, why we need to sit on the sidelines, but instead we're a people that say, God, we're ready. You're the God who equips us. You're the God who's prepared us. You are our sufficiency, Jesus. The gospel speaks sufficiency over us and over you. So now we can say we're ready, Jesus. Um, So this morning, if if that's going to be our posture, if that's going to be the heart of our church over these next nine months, is that declaration that we are ready, we have to have an accurate view of Jesus, an accurate understanding of who Jesus is. Um, We're in the book of Colossians. We're going to be there for several weeks really going verse by verse through this beautiful book. Um, and at the heart of this book is Paul's like, apostolic heart, his apostolic authority speaking into some issues arising in the church in Colossa. They were beginning to be distracted by, um, I would say, deficient views of Jesus. That maybe Jesus wasn't fully human or wasn't fully God. Or maybe he was just an exalted angel. Or maybe he's not sufficient for salvation. Maybe, maybe it's faith in Jesus, plus we need to do certain requirements or traditions or regulations from the Old Testament, Mosaic Law, and then it's enough. And so all these kind of distracting false teachings were arising in the church in, in this city called Colossae. And so Paul speaks in, pointing them to the real Jesus it's impossible for us to put our hands out before one and say, God, we're ready to follow if we don't actually know him. If we're not if we don't actually know it's the real Jesus. And we live in a day and age that um, we are immersed or we are from the from the time we are born into this Western world, we're immersed with the person of Jesus in some form or fashion. He's a part of our cultural DNA as a nation the person of Jesus. But in that journey of living in the Western world, we do accumulate over time deficient views of Jesus. And this morning, I believe Colossians chapter one will point us to the real Jesus. And it's going to be a breath of fresh air for us to, to ground ourselves in the real Jesus. We can't follow someone we don't really know. It's important that we, we know we're talking about the real Jesus. You can kind of think of it, it is kind of like this as you as you talk to different people about the person of Jesus, um, there's all sorts of different opinions about who he is. It's like, it's like having a conversation with someone uh, and you find out that you have a mutual friend, a person you know mutually in, in common. Let's just say uh, this scenario happens. Like I'm talking to someone, they say they know my brother Tony. You guys know my, my brother Tony. He, is, he led worship this morning. He's one of the pastors here at this church I'm talking with somebody, and they say they know Pastor Tony. They say, Hey, I know your brother. He's a great guy. I, I, I really love Toby. And I'm like, Oh, well, actually, his name's not Toby. His name is Tony, but it's close. But, and so you give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, if they get one strike at the, the first uh, little comment, you give them the benefit of the doubt, and they continue, Yeah, he's a great guy. They're like, Yeah, he's such an inspiration to my life. I love how he, he runs marathons. He's such an inspiration. His endurance for uh, running, and and I'm like, oh, well, actually, no, he hates running, he avoids it, uh, he is an inspiration, though, in so many ways in my life, he is an inspiration, but running is not one of those areas, and you continue to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they still got the right guy, maybe they actually do know my brother, not Toby, but Tony, and next they say, yeah, I have, I'm really intrigued by his new diet, I heard he's a vegetarian, and I'm like, well, no, he's No, he's very carnivorous. He's he's a carnivore through and through. In fact, this weekend, he was home alone because his his family was gone for a funeral and he just ate a steak by itself. No sides, just a steak dinner. It's the full meal. You don't even need sides. Um, He is a carnivore. And so I would dismiss that person. I would dismiss that person as not really knowing the real Tony. And it's not too much different. that, That sounds funny and it... It's amusing in that context, but when it comes to Jesus, because of us being immersed in a Christian culture, some would say it's post-Christian, but still we're we're surrounded by Christian uh, influences in the Western world, we accumulate deficient views of Jesus. Not too much different from calling my brother Toby the marathon runner and vegetarian. And we're going to point to some of these deficient views of Jesus this morning. I'm going to point some of them out. I've actually categorized them into two different groups. This is really important. A study back in 2014, a Barna study, actually said that 56% of Americans do believe that Jesus was God. 26, The remaining 26% or of the remaining portion, 26% believe that he was just a spiritual leader, kind of on par with um, Muhammad and, and Buddha. Another 18%, they they didn't know. They didn't know where he he fit, if he was God or if he was just a significant religious figure. 52% of Americans actually believe that it's possible that Jesus did sin. And of those, 60% of Americans say they've committed their life to Jesus as Savior. So even of those that said they committed their lives to Savior, there's a portion within, within those those that didn't really know who they were committing their lives to. Some thought maybe he, he is prone to sin. Maybe he is not fully God. Maybe he's not fully human. And there were many other st- statistics within that study. But this is what the president of Barna, as a result of that study, David Kinneman, said. He said, as much of our research shows, Americans' dedication to Jesus is in most cases a mile, a mile wide and an inch deep which is a real shame in light of the gospel being a mile wide in its radical grace and a mile deep in its inexhaustible beauty. And so we want to be a people, if we're really going to say we're ready, we want to have that sort of posture of the radical grace of God and the depths of the beauty of the majesty of Jesus, that he stands set apart from all other religious systems It's not even a religion, It's the answer for for all of our issues. It's Jesus. So here are some biblically deficient views of Jesus. This is the first category of deficient views of Jesus that I'll point to, which are biblically deficient views, meaning there's, there's a, a disconnect with understanding of Scripture that results in this deficient view of Jesus. So it's, it's a, many times the, the result of cherry-picking Scripture or not being satisfied with what Scripture says, so they come up with some other revelation, as many uh, false teachings do. The first is this, that Jesus is a good moral teacher, but he's not God. This is a, a huge work of cherry picking where maybe some people say they, they, like the, they like the golden rule, they like the Sermon on the Mount, they like Jesus' mercy and compassion, but in terms of his miracles or in terms of his claims to being God, they'll set those aside. But that, you have to do a real hack job on Scripture to get to that view. You have to ignore Jesus' clear claims to being God, John chapter 10, verse 30, that he says, I and the Father are one, leaving no room for debate as to his claims to being God. Second deficient view of Jesus, biblically deficient view of Jesus, is this, that Jesus is one of the ways to God. Which this, is, this is popular in our day and age because we don't like to offend. So Jesus being the way to the Father some people don't, don't like to accept that view. You have to cherry pick quite a bit of scripture out in order to get to that view. John chapter 14, verse six, where Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Some like to think that maybe Jesus is just a, a clearer revelation of one of the many ways to God. And so you could practice um, Islam or, or Hinduism or Buddhism and you would eventually get to God But Jesus really leaves no room for that. Third, biblically deficient view of Jesus is this, that Jesus is God, he is divine, but he's not human. This actually began to rise up early, just a century after the establishment of the church, the early church, the book of Acts. A group of people, they they were called, uh, a movement called docetism, and they believed that Jesus couldn't have really come in the flesh, that it's kind of a, a scandal to believe that God would actually be born as a human. So it's almost like the cross was an illusion, the resurrection was an illusion. He didn't really come in the flesh. But in order to, to get to that view, you have to tear out most of scripture where it says that, that the, the Messiah would really come as a human. From the line of David, born, born to a woman, just like we are all born into this world. The fourth biblically deficient view of Jesus is Jesus is an exalted angel. We see that today with the the Mormons believing that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer or the the Jehovah Witnesses, believing that that Jesus is uh, the the former Archangel Michael. They, They had to go to revelation outside of Scripture to come up with these views. They had to ignore the clear revelation of what was before them and come up with revelation outside of that to get to that view. And those were actually views that were uh, prevalent, not prevalent, but starting to pop up in the church of Colossae. Some believe that he was just an exalted angel. And so then they began to incorporate the worship of angels into their church. And it's obviously a deficient view, and we'll see how Paul addresses that here in Colossians chapter 1. The, the second category of deficient views of Jesus are culturally deficient views of Jesus. And maybe these are a little more common to the Western, uh, the Western church. The first is this, the accessory Jesus Jesus is like a genie in the bottle. We kind of pull him out when, when it's convenient or when there's crisis. He kind of fits into that compartment of our life kind of whenever we need it. But we don't give a lot of thought to his um, messiahship, his, the fact that he's Lord and Savior over every aspect of our life throughout our week. We'll see how the view in Colossians 1 doesn't really give much space for that second is this sunday morning jesus this is so common because going to church is seen as christianity in the western world i mean you can if you're if you hang out with our church enough you'll realize that we're contending for everyday believers for lifestyle christianity monday through sunday that we live the message of jesus that the gospel would impact the way we live every single day not just sunday morning third is a sloppy grace jesus this is, a, this is a, a shallow understanding of grace that leaves room for us to live however we want Monday through Sunday. When in reality, when we actually look at Scripture and what Jesus paid for, he paid for us, yes, to be seen as righteous before the Father, to have forgiveness of sins, but then also to experience vic- vic- victory over that sin, to be able to experience an actual freedom from glory to glory, from day to day, to actually be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Not talking about perfection, but from glory to glory, day after day, humbly submitting ourselves to Him as Lord and Savior. The fourth is this is prosperity, Jesus. I don't know where this came from, but this messed up teaching is that Jesus was brought to earth just to make us happy. And therefore, you know, our, our financial success, our material material success is, is an indication of the, the magnitude of our faith, or something like that. Um, It's a really interesting, uh, obscure teaching um, that is obviously a deficient view of Jesus for us to take up our crosses and follow him daily. These are all deficient views of Jesus. And, And it's not much different than saying, you know, my brother, when in fact you don't. That if we say we know Jesus, let us look at scripture. Let us look at the lens of scripture, the revelation of what God's given us, and say, Jesus, we really want to encounter you for ourselves, personally. Not what's been handed down to us from our parents, not from what we've accumulated an understanding of through media or from attending church for a long time, but truly from you, Jesus. I wanna know you for myself. It's a big deal. So it's difficult difficult to follow someone you don't know. Let's look at Colossians chapter one. It'll be on the screen or you can follow along in your own Bible. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the, the setup from last week that you remember is that, that Paul ends, ends in you know, verses 12 through 14 talking about the magnitude of the gospel. That's Jesus who transfers us from the domain of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. So Jesus did not come to establish a home and garden religion, a nice, neat, tidy little Uh, Religion that you regard on Sunday morning. No, He came to transfer us from the the dominion, the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of light to provide redemption of sins. I mean, we're what we're talking about. What's at stake is life transformation, paradigm paradigm explosion, like paradigm from living in darkness to the paradigm of living in the light. It's huge. Everything is in the balance. That we get this right. And so this is what he says about Jesus to these ones who were a little confused about who really, really Jesus was. He is the image of the invisible God. Or as Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, that he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. So any attribute of God that you, that you see anywhere in scripture, you can see the exact imprint of that attribute of God's nature in the person of Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. I'm not saying all we need are the Gospels, but if there's any portion of Scripture you want to continually pour, pour over your heart and over your mind on a daily basis, it's the Gospels, because Jesus makes, helps us make sense of the Old Testament, and he tells us where we're going in this future age to come. It's Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. As John one one says that in, in the beginning he was the Word or the Word was with God, the Word was God, that revelation, the logos revelation of God and next he turns the coin to gods or to Jesus' humanity in saying, the firstborn of all creation that he is also fully human he is fully God, the the image of the invisible God, and he's the firstborn of all creation. Not because he's a created being. We'll see that he's adamant about him not being a created being. But he was still born of a woman in his human manifestation. He was born of the Virgin Mary, the firstborn of all creation, meaning he was the initiator of a new way of living, a new way of being human. He was the firstborn of this new way of being human that he invites us into. That's why he says, in order for you to come into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. He introduced us to this new way of being human. And he was the initiator of that. And many scholars, as this is a phrase that Paul likes to use, he uses in other, other letters that he writes, this firstborn of all creation. Some scholars think that he's regarding like this Mid- Middle Eastern uh, cultural norm of the firstborn in a family being the favored one, the one receiving the inheritance. And so Jesus becomes this one who's a picture of the favored one of heaven that becomes the, the grand bridge between humanity and God. He's the firstborn of all creation. And in verse 16 he says, for by him all things were created. So he's not, he is the uncreated one. He's not created By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is the uncreated one. And he created everything that's measurable, everything that's visible, all energy and matter in the universe. He created it all. But look what also Paul points to. He says everything that's invisible. If science only has... Uh, paradigm and understanding of what's measurable, but he also created this entire spiritual realm that we have no real regard for, very little understanding of. He created it all. So therefore, he is not just another spiritual being, another exalted spiritual being. He is the supreme being overall that created it all, the uncreated one, creating all the, the visible physical universe, all matter and energy, and also the entire invisible spiritual realm. Hopefully this is beginning to burn in your heart as something so humbling to think of creator God revealing himself to us This God who's creator of the entire phys- phys- visible physical universe and the invisible spiritual realms. He's revealed himself to you as savior, as Lord. It says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's orchestrating it all he governs every aspect of the universe. He's holding it all together. He spoke it into being. He's the grand lawmaker of, of all the laws that we study in science, and I, I love science. that's why I studied engineering. I do I'm, I'm nerdy as any engineer in this space. I love science. But there's a limit to science. Science points us to a lawgiver. You know, beyond that, the, the whys behind that, we can't know through science. So we have to have this humble posture of worship before the lawgiver, the grand orderer of the universe. As Isaac Newton said, gravity explains the motion of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. God governs all things and knows all that is and can be done. He is the grand Order, the governor of it all. And he spoke it into being, he sustains it, And we actually, we know what's coming next. We know that the earth and the heavens, as we know it, won't be here in this age to come, but instead he's gonna come and he's gonna establish a new heaven and a new earth because he holds it all together. And when he says it's done, it's done. That is Jesus. That's the son of God. And verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. That's why we so often emphasize The fact that the church is not a building or an institution. The church is a spiritual body of whom Jesus is the head. And so a ready church is a church that's captured by the beauty of Jesus because Jesus is the head. We're just like enamored with this beautiful, majestic Jesus. That's a ready church. A church that truly embodies the kingdom of God in a city or in a neighborhood. He is the head of the body, the church. I think it's interesting that the enemy spends so much of his time and, and effort and energy at attacking the church. Because, I mean, if you think, the way, to any, I mean, the, the way to rile up any man on, on this planet is to go after his bride, right? If anybody maligns my, my bride, this, I'm a pretty patient guy, but you'd, I would get pretty angry. I'd get defensive. For the sake of my bride, and the enemy loves to attack the bride of Jesus Christ, to malign the bride, and we have a role to play in that as well. Many of us make it too 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 easy for the enemy, in, uh, in not representing Jesus well. But I believe the enemy is also doing a work to spread all sorts of lies. I have conversations with people all the time about the church, and people accumulate all these misunderstandings of what church is. Oh, church is—it's all about money. Church is all about politics. Full of a bunch of people just. Uh, two weekends ago I was fishing with a guy that doesn't know Jesus and he talked about the hurts that he had accumulated um, from growing up in church some of the positive experiences that he had and then just people got nasty and maybe you've experienced something like that yourself Christians that mi- misrepresent Jesus I also do believe the enemy has a part to play in that, that he, he just loves to get his fingers in that so that people turn away from God Instead of seeing the beauty of Jesus in this beautiful representation of the body of Christ. I pray that we can be captured by Jesus, that we can represent him well. Next he says this, that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Again, he's the uncreated one. Before he said he's the firstborn of all creation, now he says he's the firstborn of the dead, pointing to his resurrection. That he was, he was demonstrating that he was victorious, even over death, and that he was gonna be ushering in a day where us as kingdom people would also have victory over death, that in everything he might be preeminent. And I wanna be very clear that what Paul is saying is that not, not that that is up for uh, any sort of negotiation or that this, this is hanging in the balance that he might not be preeminent and so he's going to all this effort to make sure that he is preeminent. No, it's that he might be seen as preeminent. He is preeminent, whether anyone recognizes it or not. And that word preeminent, in the Greek it's proteo, which means supreme or first place. He is first place. That, there's no debate about it. For some reason in his sovereign wisdom, he limits his sovereignty in some, for some reason, and, and we'll never know, probably the side of eternity to allow the enemy to do to have his way for a season, to be called the prince and the power of the air. Why I don't know, but he is supreme. There's no battle between light and darkness in this in this uh, kingdom. There, there is no um, competition. He is supreme. He is first place. He is preeminent. There's no debate. There's no competition. I believe it's his desire for true love, for true love relationship that has, he, that is the reason he has limited himself in some ways for a season. He says, for in him, in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, Making peace by the blood of his cross. He is fully God. And God was blessed, I mean, he was pleased to have all the fullness of God dwell in this man named Jesus. And if you encounter this one, this real Jesus, you'll be ready. Today, not in future tense. Tomorrow you can be ready. If you wake up and say, God, I want to I serve you, I want to follow you for myself. So let's see how Paul ends this then. He says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has, now, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So not lacking anything. The kingdom of God with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he accomplishes in your life is that you'd be called holy and blameless. Therefore, without excuse. That's why I said last week we're eliminating excuses. There's no reason for anybody to sit on the sidelines in the gospel, in the kingdom of Jesus. What the the work of Jesus Christ does in your life is allows you to stand before this perfect God and be holy and blameless to be seen as above reproach before him. In verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That is God's will for your life, that you would be called stable and steadfast, that your hope would would not wane, your hope in the gospel. That you would be the most hope-filled person in your workplace, the most hope-filled person in your family, in your neighborhood, stable and steadfast. No longer pray to the whims and the roller coaster of life, but instead you'd be stable, you'd be steadfast as you find yourself in your sufficiency in Jesus, in this real one who you've encountered for yourself that you didn't just receive from your parents, receive from from your pastor or your minister, but instead you receive personally from Jesus. He calls you holy and blameless and above reproach. So we're upon another uh, college school year. I was uh, familiarized with a story of a college student that I wanted, I wanted you to hear her testimony this morning. I'm gonna invite Melody Hawkins forward because her testimony, Yeah. Her, t- her testimony just encounter- or encapsulates the, the importance of this message so well this morning. We can grow up in church. We can be around the church our entire lives, but miss out on actually really knowing the person of Jesus Christ, and I, I want to uh, increase the desperation in your hearts to really know Jesus.
0: Yeah, so I grew up in the church. fourth grade I was diagnosed with epilepsy and it wasn't that big of a deal I just had a couple of seizures a couple times a year not a big deal um, and then my freshman year of high school I started struggling um, with a lot of anxiety and that played a role in my epilepsy and caused me to have lots and lots of seizures so I started having seizures almost every day um, and that was really hard because I loved doing sports and I loved being active and I couldn't do that anymore Um, And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I can't do what I love doing. Um, And so I went to my parents. I was like, I need help. And they were like, you need to seek the Lord. Um, And so I started seeking the Lord. I started reading my Bible, praying, asking, God, help me, please, because I don't know what to do. Um, And through that, I developed a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, And we had a healing uh, conference at our church. And there was one night um, where I went up and received prayer. And Jesus said, Melody, come to me. And I'm like, I'm here. What do you mean? Um, And so in that moment, I realized that he was calling me to come to him and not go to spiritual leaders in my life. In the past, I gone to my parents. Hey, can you help me? Pray with me for this. My pastor, hey, help me. Um, But more of finding Jesus as my Savior rather than help having those people lead me to him. And so in that moment, I just felt the overwhelming peace of God come on me. And since that day, I have not had, well, I've had a few seizures, but I was completely healed of having them all the time. And since then, I've been totally healed. So praise Jesus. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I also experienced intense freedom from anxiety, from anything. Um, that was holding me back. So I just want to encourage you guys through personal relationship with Jesus, you can find freedom, healing, whatever you need, Jesus has it for you.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> Th- thank you, Melody, for being willing to share that in front of a bunch of people you don't know. I just I appreciate your boldness and willingness to do that. Your story is an inspiration, um, which is, it's Jesus in you, yeah. and, and it it stirred up in my heart as I heard it. That, that, that's what we're going after, is not secondhand Christianity, but more and more and more and more people encountering Jesus for themselves. So I don't know what it is that you're facing, what it is uh, that's maybe, what, what views of Jesus that you've accumulated over the years that are deficient, in what ways that you really just need to experience the power of Jesus for yourself. But this morning, he's here, he's present. And, and he wants to move in your life. He wants to reveal himself to you. He is more than enough. And he speaks over, to, over your life, and he says in him that you are ready to face what you, what's in front of you today. In him, not in your own power, not in yourself. This is not a, um, a pep talk of uh, positive thinking. This is, a, this is a gospel talk pointing us to Jesus as our sufficiency for today. And there's nothing in your life, there's no trial or difficulty that his sufficiency is not an answer for. He's more than enough today. And that's what Paul pointed us to here in Colossians, that Jesus is preeminent. Everyone stand in this place. I want us to respond to the Lord. I want the, the broad, broad consensus in our church to be that we would be ready in Christ, that we'd be enamored and captivated by the real Jesus. I want to give an opportunity for everybody as individuals this morning to respond to Jesus. If you're here this morning and, and maybe you have a deficient view of Jesus, it doesn't, doesn't mean that you uh, don't know Jesus as your Savior, but for some reason you've, from your story you've accumulated a deficient view of Jesus. I want you to respond to the Lord right now. This is between you and him. I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise their hand. Maybe you've treated him like an accessory or you've put him in the compartment of Sunday morning, Jesus. You've lowered the, the view of the gospel to being just a prosperity thing of personal happiness, personal gain. Just right now, just repent and say, Jesus, take me on a journey of personally knowing you for who you are in any way I've downgraded your your deity your power your sufficiency I respond to you right now Lord I pray over every individual in this place such diverse Stories and backgrounds represented in this room this morning. I pray that this picture of the real Jesus would be burned in our hearts as individuals. That we'd wrestle through the the nagging questions, the the things that we've experienced in church or with Christianity that have left us unsatisfied that we'd push through and we'd really see you for who you are. Any of those distractions, Lord Jesus, we push past them right now. We want to see you for who you are. Image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the uncreated one. The one who holds all things together, you might be seen as preeminent in our lives, supreme as first place. Secondly, I want us to respond as a LifePoint family this morning. This entire theme over this year is—it's a corporate theme that we're saying, "Jesus, we're ready. We don't want to sit on the sidelines. Whatever excuses we've accumulated as a church." We don't have enough money. We don't have a big enough building. We don't have a big enough parking lot. Whatever the excuses are, like we're setting that aside. Jesus is our sufficiency. A church that is mesmerized and enamored with the beauty of Jesus, a ready church. And that's where we're posturing our hearts this morning. So let's pray like that, Lord, right now as a church family. We say we're ready, we're pushing past all things that we think disqualify us, all excuses that we've accumulated, any lesser views of you that have left us sitting on the sidelines. We know you're moving and we wanna be a part of it. We know the gospel is bearing fruit in our city. It's ever increasing and we say we wanna be a part of it. We wanna we want be on the front lines. We wanna be a part of a move of your Holy Spirit in our day, in, in, in our generation. And we know it's your gospel that qualifies us. Right now, Lord, we adore you. We worship you. Can we just lift up our our voices right now and worship to Jesus? If you have your Bibles open, you can read that portion in Colossians chapter 1 again and, and just meditate on who Jesus is. You know, in light of Melody's testimony, I believe this morning some people will, will be healed physically of things that they've walked in here with. I just sat with a mom this week who shared that her daughter got healed of food allergies and seasonal allergies. Praise the Lord. Come on. Which for this family was a big deal. I mean, they had altered their, the course of their entire family for this child's allergies. And both that food allergy and season allergies were healed in the name of Jesus. And there are others this morning. Maybe you have. Maybe you're facing epileptic seizures, like Melody. Maybe you're dealing with allergies. The Lord healed me of allergies this year as well. I was always on allergy medicine for like 15 years, and this year I haven't taken it once. Um, praise the Lord. So whatever is going on, you're facing. I believe God's here. The real Jesus is here. <laughs> this is. There's no. Uh, This is is not a dramatization. There's no acting here. This is the real Jesus, the Jesus we read about in the Gospels. He's the image of the invisible God. He's here right now. Lord, I pray that you'd meet people where they're at. There are some this morning that need a divine encounter. Lord, they need a divine appointment with you, Jesus. There are some that need a healing in their bodies. They need healing in their minds. Some struggling with anxiety, with depression, suicidal thoughts. And this morning, you're going to reveal yourself as comforter, as counselor. As the meek and mild Jesus becomes their friend. There are some that come with aches and pains. And you reveal yourself this morning as the sufficient one, as their strength, as their healer. As their Yahweh Rapha, we pray that upon every person in this place, experience the kingdom of Jesus here and now.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about Life Point Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.